Hi, Lauren here. A few things to discuss before today's episode. One, there are mentions of both suicide and rape, so if one or both of these subjects are difficult for you, you might want to go ahead and skip this episode. Second, we had some audio issues while recording, so I apologize, especially for the first 10 or 15 minutes or so. Hopefully we can get this all worked out before the next episode. Thanks for listening. And I'm Nick, and I'm experiencing these episodes for the first time. And today we are reviewing Season 1, Episode 14, To Have and To Hold. And I want to point out that it is have, as in H-A-L-V-E. Paramount Plus thinks that it's to have, as in H-A-V-E. Well, yeah, I, I didn't... I didn't know until you posted that on Instagram or Twitter or whatever, the the title. I went, oh, and I was like, oh, that's really clever. Yes, it's supposed to be clever. Paramount Plus was like, I don't get it. I'm gonna. This obviously must be a typo. I'm correcting it. So, original air date of this episode is February fifteenth, two thousand one. Director is Lou Antonio. Writers are Anthony Zyker, Andrew Lipsitz, and Ann Donahue. All right. So we. I'll be curious to hear Vegas score. I think I know what Vegas score is for our opener because we. Unless I miss something, we kind of where we are in an overview of the burbs, and then we're in the desert. Uh, there's one shot of a casino, and then shot? we're, okay. and then there's a view of the desert. There's a view of like the Vegas suburbs, yeah. which I counted, and I wasn't sure because it because we didn't end up there, right? So I was like, okay, so this is still extreme scenery. But there was, I felt a little justified because there's there's a little bit of ex- there's a lot of for the first time in a long time, and I I don't know. If I have to rethink how the method of Vegas score should work, we have a lot of on location in Vegas shooting, yes, like like some some real hallmark places. And I'm like, I mean, I gave it a two, but like if you asked me to rate the Vegasiness of the overall episode, it's probably closer to a three. But the official score is still two. Unless I, th- there's often a lot of little cut-ins and stuff, and I don't want to be tallying those, but but. There, there are a lot of different locations and places I recognize from being in Vegas, and I thought, like, wow, they're really adding this in, and it, it's, it's certainly, I think, a better way to make the show feel like it's in Vegas, and I, all I could think is, like, I guess this show is probably shot in California, like the pilot, uh, or Toronto, or something, you know what I mean, like, and now that the show is popular, they have a budget to go shoot some scenes on location. And and so you're seeing where they're but I technically they did when Nick met was her name Christine outside Christy yeah I, that was also that was like I think one of the first times we were kind of like on on location for sure and maybe there's a couple others so I, maybe that's something I'll look up is how how much shooting they do in each place because they they could be shooting regularly in Vegas for all I know yep. but yeah they, they they definitely played it up on this episode I feel like yes, I I so. Agree. The official Vegas score is two, but it's got a little asterisk next to it because, I mean, I I don't want to get ahead of the episode. There's no spoilers here, but the whole, when they went to the little Elvis chapel, I was like, wow, they're just, they're just going around the world here. In Vegas. <laughs> I'm surprised there wasn't a scene in the Pawn Stars shop. <laughs> I think it was before Pawn Stars. It's probably around the same, yeah, it might have been a little before her. So we go to the desert, we see a boy playing fetch with his dog, his dog's name is Sky, an adorable golden retriever, and after a few throws of fetch, Sky brings back a bone instead of the sticks that they were using to play fetch. I always also find it fascinating that That's... people use sticks to play fetch, I'm like, bring a ball, what are you doing? Yeah. It's a great trope, though, for TV shows and movies, I yes, feel like I've is. seen this a hundred yes. times. Yes. Throw a stick, dog comes back, this isn't a stick, you know? So we then... It's nighttime because obviously night shift. Grissom and Catherine are at the, the scene where the bone was found. They identify the bone as being the tibia. And Grissom tells Catherine, because she's kind of going on this diatribe of like, this must be a murder. This like we need to investigate this. Like bones just don't show up in the middle of the desert. And she's on team team uh, pessimism. Yes, 
and that's what Grissom says to Catherine that you know she always expects the worst and she agreed like she doesn't fight this and I, I also had to jot down that there was like such a terrible bad flex attempt by Grissom here when he's like did you know that there's like X amount of bones in the body and Catherine's like yeah of course I know like I, t- I went to the same classes that you went to yeah. for years also, just to... I know that there's 216 bones in the human body. Like, So, what's really funny with this scene is that I have a science fact, science of Nick here, that I feel like real Grissom, if Grissom was a real person, he would know this. It's very improper to say, like, inaccurate to say a human has 206 bones in their body. Not only do we have a lot of people who might also, you know, for one genetic variation or another, have a slightly different number, but the main reason a lot of people have different numbers of bones in their body is because you're born with like 270 bones and they fuse together through your juvenile life. Like, I don't know what the exact age is, but like 16 or something. And so different people get like different levels of fusing and you would count something as a bone or not a bone. There are some vestigial bones that sometimes people have that other people don't have. However, I also have to mention a really hilarious Aside that I recently learned, which is that half the bones in your in your body are in your hands and your feet. And the reason why I know this is because in a live play role-playing game, science communicator Hank Green, who is probably the one who taught me about the fact that there were 270 bones in your body, plays a character who is kind of like... he's. I mean, he's a good person, but like he's he's like a big dude, and he hurts people uh, when they, when it, when it's appropriate. And his great form of intimidation is weird science facts, and he was intimidating someone and be like, "Do you know the half the bones of the human body are in your hands and feet? I wouldn't break every bone in your body. That's too much work. I could break half the bones of your body with very little, you know, with much less effort or something." <laughs> and I love that. I love that fact. Now it's one of my favorite facts, just because of the delivery. But it's also terrifying. If you were if you were gonna fight someone, you were like, "Did you know that half the bones of your body are in your hands and feet?" You would not want to fight them again. You, you'd, you'd be like, "I'm gonna run." This person is menacing. Yeah. Yeah. But so yeah, I wish I wish as I say, I wish Catherine just flexed back on him. It was like it was like yeah. Different different time. Twenty years later, it would have happened. So after this bad flex attempt by Grissom, we go to credits. We then return to Grissom giving out assignments. Uh, Nick is going to be working with him and Catherine on the bone found in the desert. Catherine fairly wants to bring Terry Miller, the bone expert, the forensic like expert on bones, in on this case. And Grissom's being super weird about it and kind of being heaven and hollering and not wanting to do it. And then Sarah and Warwick get a case of a dead body at a hotel. With, I like that they had to point out that it's a weird pool, and then there's a two-second clip of the weird pool. <laughs> They're like, oh, the one with that weird pool? And they're like, yeah. even in Vegas, this weird pool. I'm like, with clear sides, you can see people in the pool. I don't think Vegas is the only place that has that. They put that in because they knew they were shooting on location. Yes, yes. They, they want That's probably a real... Way. That's like people in California think that's a weird pool. <laughs> people in Vegas just call it a pool. That's cool. So we move to a scene with cadets combing the desert. Grissom does another oh. Grissom thing where he licks the bone. Oh, God, yes. I, I wrote that down. I was like, oh, we're just contaminating evidence again. Yep. Now there's DNA on this. Yep. Oh, you want to test for soft tissue? I bet you're going to find some. Well, actually, it was a rock of that particular bone. but It was, yes. Yeah, yeah. But if it was a real bone, that was not the way to test it. No, no. Now who's being pessimistic, Grissom? You're just assuming this isn't a bone. I also want to point out that I didn't catch the first time she says it, that these are cadets. And I was like, okay. and they're like bossing them around. And I'm like, I think these guys have probably already been trained on how to do this. And we would see and they're like, oh, they're all cadets. I was like, oh, okay. Also explains why you can get like, 20 young guys to like spend all day combing the desert because they spent a long time out there they spent a lot of time out there so we we get a, a nice little montage to illustrate how long they've been out there of you know different members of the cadets and of the team finding bones and marking flags where they find the pieces and then at the very end of it Grissom and Catherine are talking 
And I had to I had to write this down because I was like, this is such nonsense. Catherine was like, oh, we've collected enough bones that we can make an ID before the end of the shift. Yeah. What? Well, speedy. Speedy what? What ID. What are you talking about? No, you can't. Oh, they, uh, they really only needed that one bone they found, which was a completely intact skull, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> with like I dental exactly. records. Yeah, but yeah. I just found it absolutely obscene. I was like, no, that's not that's not how it works. Yeah, it's not it's not how it works. So, you have to actually, you know, test things. So then we go to the other crime scene. So Sarah and Warwick arrive at the hotel. We see the weird pool. They enter the room. It definitely looks like there's a party in there. We learn that the victim is a one Darren Pine. The room was registered to Celine Dion, but the bill was actually to a woman named Lynn Henry. So then we go towards one of the, I think, Nick and I were, you know, just talking about this fairly iconic, like, uh, Sarah and Warwick show up at the, the hotel where they're eating lunch, and they, like, go through the, the archway. The Venetian, I think. I think it's the Venetian. Yeah. So they go through, like, the, the, the camera goes through the archway, you see, like, the gondola going through, like, yep. the water, and then you see the ladies sitting down eating lunch together inside of this hotel. This is when we learned that they had thrown a bachelorette party the night before, Darren was the exotic dancer. They say that he arrived at 10, they left at 3 a.m., he was alive and well when they left at 3 a.m., and they do note, though, that Lynn has bruises on her wrist, and she's claiming that she doesn't know how she caught them. She's kind of saying, like, oh, we were all kind of tipsy, I probably just walked into something, and, and as someone who walks into things and bruises all the time, I would know how I got a wrist bruise. <laughs> also, not... I'll give it to you. I'll give it to not you. A lot of, not a lot of wrist-first walking going on. No. <laughs> you know, just reverse T-Rex hands, you know. Yeah, yeah. It, given the way, uh, spoiler alert, she does know how she got bruises on her wrist. She does. <laughs> given the, the severity of the situation, I would think that you could come up with a better lie, including one that would make plausible sense, like, yeah, the dead stripper who is the only other person who's going to corroborate this story or deny it. We had a little fun, and he, he had to be pinned on the on the couch at some point. You know what I mean? Like, she could have come up with a million fake reasons that that would have just, like, had to go over. So, yeah, if you knew what, like, given what it actually had happened, I thought they were really ill-prepared for anyone to ever show up and ask them questions. And the fact that they just left him in that room. Like, you, maybe you should have dragged him. You were frozen house. again. So we go to Grissom and Catherine assembling the skeleton. Nick is also there as well. Catherine Fairley, as they're working on assembling the skeleton, is asking if they've hit a wall yet, a.k.a. can we bring Terry in to address this? Yep. And then Nick gets assigned to post the, the jaw on the dental database. So he, he goes off to do that. And they realize, due to finding jagged marks on the bone, that he was chopped up. And then, crazy enough, a one ter Terry Miller arrives. And Grissom is happy and then very not happy at the same time <laughs> about this arrival. Yeah, they have, they have this kind of like, like she kind of burst into the mid-conversation, you know, and be like, oh, you could try this. You know, like she overhears what they're they're talking about. And then I have a really funny comment when they move to the hall. Yeah, so then the next scene is Grissom and Catherine in the hallway. And what is, I'd, I'd love to hear your comment here. So Catherine has this evidence toe tag thing on her jacket. It says evidence colon, and then she's written in black Sharpie Foxy. As like, <laughs> I didn't notice that. But then I went back and rewatched the whole scene. She's wearing it, but you cannot read it. They did a really good job shooting the scene with her having this on but not seeing it and then it being like really front and center in that hallway scene yeah so she's like labeled herself as foxy or something i, I was very very tongue-in-cheek and very kind of funny i like laughed i like literally laughed out loud and i was like wait did i miss like did they co comment on this or like because i thought like grissom would have said something and maybe they had a scene and cut it out or something but 
I really like the way they edited it together and showed it where like you can see it in a few of the shots that it's definitely there on her because they're both wearing coroner lab coats which is another weird thing in this episode they keep wearing other people's uniforms mm-hmm. but they yeah you could see it's there but you can't read it at any point until she's in the hallway and then it's like really easy to read and I just thought like that was just a really like it was great it feels like something her character would do it was very funny very but they also had to like go through the effort to like shoot it the or, or at least edit the scene right so that you didn't see it coming and then meanwhile they're supposed to be having this like real serious like oh my god i can't believe you invited my girlfriend over type conversation and and in meanwhile she's finding out that they're not even they haven't even like dated he's like i, I think in the scene he's he's like she's like were you mad because i invited your girlfriend he's like i barely even know the woman yeah and yeah, it's very high school, yeah, it feels Catherine, like. Catherine says something along, along the lines of, like, oh, you know, you didn't want to invite to her just because you had a relationship, and that's when Grissom is like, oh, I yeah. barely know her, and yeah, it, it's very high school. And so Grissom returns back in with Terry, and she she gives them a grade of not bad as far as assembling the skeleton goes. And then we move to Nick and Catherine making uh, character matches on they get a dental match they get a like response to their dental posting mm-hmm. they make character matches and they find out that and I guess this proves you know Catherine's theory is correct like they got their ID by the end of the night the victim is Mel Bennett a 70 year old gentleman yep well if he was still alive he'd be 70 but don't actually yes. know where he's died how long he's been dead for yet 7 right? months I don't know yeah. if we know that yet but he's yeah, yeah we don't yet if he was yeah yeah and we then go back to Grissom oh, with... Oh. I was going to say, we do know that he's older because the calcif- she finds like calcification on his bones or something. Mm-hmm. She's like she's like at least 60 years old or something. I think she says like 60 to 70. Yep. And then I'm like, yeah, she's right because Catherine is a badass. Because so mm-hmm. she there. also took osteo whatever class. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we had the same school in Grissom. Give me some yeah, Grissom, Grissom didn't pick up on the calcification. He was like, oh, huh. Yeah, like, oh, and that scene. And so we turn to Grissom with Terry, and this is when we learn that an electric saw was used to cut up the body based on the grooves found on the bone. We then go to Warwick with Doc Robbins, and we learn that the, well, Doc Robbins asks, like, hey, did any of the women admit to having sex with the victim? He says no. Uh, and Dr. Robin informs him that a penile swab shows fresh vaginal cells, so he had sex very close to right around the time that he died, and they also put his time of death, his TOD as it were, at midnight, which, yep. awkward, because the lady said that they left him at 3am and he was fine. Yep. Which <laughs> caused me to literally go back and see the timeline again. Okay. Which then also made me think, like, again, ladies, you did not think about this one iota about no. what you what you would say if somebody showed up after knowing you left a dead body in in a hotel room is that why don't we just say we it wasn't going well and we left early around midnight and the guy said hey can i just have the room for the night and we said yes and nobody would ever know except for the three of you and yeah. instead they lied and said they left three hours later i was like clearly they've never watched an episode of csi but or a likewise show and have any idea that they could generally tell when people die to some level of interest she was like 3 a.m and i'm like if we ask you if they go around and ask your fiance what time you got back is he gonna say 3 30 in the morning is he gonna say 12 30 like right. gotta get your story straight you know haven't you ever killed a man before <laughs> <laughs> evidently not evidently yeah not. yes that's a good pun i like that but yeah i started creating a timeline in my notebook and i had to go back and watch the scene where they interviewed them because i was like didn't they say they left at 3 a.m like why would they say that if they knew the guy was because like i didn't actually think that they had killed them yet that was, that was the moment i was like oh okay these ladies were there they know how he died yeah 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 Oh, and this is not. This was not a spot the guest star for me. Okay. But the lady, apparently the the, the lady with the bruises on her wrist was in like fifty episodes of Doogie Hazard. Oh, okay. I didn't. I did. 
that did not ring any bells for me. I thought she looked familiar, and so after the episode, I looked it up, and I was like, "Well, I don't know. This is not what I thought I knew her from." Yeah. So, so it's not a spot to guest star for me. Okay, that's fair. Uh, I also really think that the blonde lady looks a little bit like Reese Witherspoon a in a bit. few scenes. Yeah. <laughs> scenes. I was, and, and I was kind of curious, like, "Oh, she maybe like a cousin or something," and yeah, no, it's just. No, just some random lady. Just stare, just stereotypic human features that yep. make yep. make you think that two people who have no relationship look yeah, look look look, 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 look they do. Yeah. Yep. So we then go to Sarah and Warwick in the interrogation room with the group of ladies. This is where we hear the story that Lynn had sex with the victim. Well, not had sex. That she was raped by him. That she yep. left her purse in the room, went back into the room. He then raped her. And they let her know that she has to go to the hospital for a sexual assault exam, which comes this into is, play later on multiple times. This is my only. This, story. this is my only prediction that I wrote down for the whole okay. episode. Okay. I said I'm pretty sure this lady is lying for the bride, and that the bride had sex with the, because that's so, again, very stereotypical, mm-hmm. right? But also, there's this whole nature of like, why are they lying? Why are they covering up things, right? And I was like, oh, I gotta send her for a thing, and she's, and obviously they're gonna find out she didn't have, she had, no one has had sex with her, right? Or in the last, I don't know how far they can really tell, but I was assuming the last twenty four hours. And so again, not the best planning on this lady's part. No. If you know what they're gonna find. You're not even thinking about it. But, uh, yeah, this is my one thing. I was like, she's lying for the bride. But the only thing I assumed she was lying about was the bride had sex. I still really wasn't sure who was and was not in on the The actual murder part. Yeah, I was just kind of like, I was just kind of like, I actually really still think I thought in my head that, like, it was going to be more, like, likely, well, they get there anyways, but, like, it was going to be, like, somebody else involved. Like, the, the yeah, three yeah. women didn't do it, but they know, but they witnessed it or something. And and for some reason, they weren't saying anything. But, yeah, I didn't write a lot of predictions down, but this one I was, like, lying for the bride for sure. I was like, I was like and I said, I said, Tess will reveal it wasn't her, and then they'll, and then the bride will say it was her kind yeah. of thing. You're, you're right on. And we go back to our other storyline. Jim Brass, Grissom, and Catherine arrive at Mrs. Bennett's house. She informs them that, you know, Mel isn't here right now. He's he's at the store. And, you know, I, they, don't, I, they don't take that at face value, so they put her in the <laughs> patrol car to talk to her downtown. Because not, not quite. It was. It wasn't until five minutes later that I actually thought this episode was going to go the way it was, and he wasn't just going to come back to the store, and they were going to have to like. There was going to be some weird. I thought there was going to be some weird thing with the dental records. Oh, I don't know. I what, I don't, the wrong person. Yeah, or like she has dementia and doesn't know that this person isn't her husband. Oh my gosh! Yeah. <laughs> like I had this like whole line of thoughts in my head, but she was so sweet and innocent, and I was just like. I was like, oh, well, this lady didn't kill anybody, right? So, like, oh, I wonder how this is going to play out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we we move to Catherine, Grissom, and Jim Brass inside of the Bennett's house. They're kind of looking at the pictures. Catherine thinks that they were good with each other. They then, Catherine and Grissom move to the bathroom. They swab the drain of the tub, which does come back positive for blood. And Jim Brass walks in having found the murder weapon. So well, he's he's found a reciprocating saw. Yes. Well, he calls it the murder <laughs> weapon. Yes. I mean, they do they do prove it's the murder weapon immediately after, but in the very I've, next scene. Yes. Yeah. 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 I, I I don't think when he walked in, I was like, okay, you think you found the murder weapon? Hey, Jim Brass, he finds a lot of good evidence in garages. Remember, he found the whole motorcycle once. Oh yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. He's, he's he's a garage he's a garage evidence hound except he didn't find the orange jacket no, in the he didn't. last episode in that guy's mm-hmm. garage yeah. no no he didn't he didn't take that as, yeah. as key as key evidence mm-hmm. so we are well we're shown in the very next scene that Jim Brass is correct he did find the murder weapon because we see Terry sawing a pig she is using the exact same like make and model electric saw thank mugs. God for 24 hour Walmarts. Because I know. I am. Well, the, I mean, it's Vegas, right? Yeah, I mean, but you're able to get the same blade and reciprocating saw and short notice. Yeah, yeah, they can make it happen. 
So the marks are consistent and Terry is also able to make some, I don't want to say assumptions, but they kind of feel like assumptions on the operator. She is saying that they're unfamiliar with the use of the electric saw and that they have a, they have a, a weakened nature. Yes. My favorite part of this is that I get that you're a bone expert, but you're not a power tools expert. No, I agree. Or are you? I don't know much about her character. Maybe she's a really that, big that, DIYer. Maybe. You know what I mean? Yeah. In, in, like, because like, obviously she's probably studied cut bones before and can make some generalizations, but she you know, probably need to know a little bit more about operating a uh, reciprocating saw, which, by the way, I bought myself a reciprocating saw. It's a very useful saw. It is very difficult to use. That thing I, is like I've never used one, so I don't know. I have you, no idea. If you if the thing you're working on isn't like clamped down, it is not is not a great time. Yeah, so I, I everything she said was true. It was just kind of like, but how does she know that? Yeah, but that, that's you know? where I yeah, that's kind of where I was going with that one was. Like, yeah, yeah. It does turn yeah. out to be accurate, but like really the the way they they really revisit the weak manual dexterity thing later on i thought was absolutely hilarious i was like wait what and then i was like oh because they're trying to show that she her hands are weak when they have her sign something, something later we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll get which, to that when we get pretty, there which is pretty, pretty but, soon actually we yeah. before that scene we go to sarah and warwick back in the hotel room this is where we learned that there was like no trace of the lamp found on his head because they originally thought that he died by the lamp being smashed into his head which i also was like they were like oh the lamp i was like that lamp is broken organized on the floor why do you think that it was hit over the head of a person five feet to the right of it and then like all the pieces neatly fell and i think the light bulb was intact i think so i was like i was like i was like this lamp is a red herring yeah, uh, you were like, you're trying to lead us down that's the not, path. Yeah, that wasn't a prediction, but the lamp was a red... I was like, I knew right away the lamp was a red herring. Mm. But, but they brought this up in the initial autopsy or, or whatever, review of the body. And they and it's like a callback to, like, they mentioned this in an earlier episode. It's like it's like the first head trauma doesn't cause bleeding. Yeah, you need to, like, the hit them a second time. It's all the subsequent hits that cause, like, yeah. cast off. Was that the first episode, and is that where the golf club skull scene comes from where grissom uh, hits the skull with a golf that club they were trying to figure out blood splatter i think one of the first times that we hear that it takes more than one hit oh maybe it is in the first episode yeah yeah maybe but it is maybe you're that's right. the only reason i brought it up because i was thinking about that the intro scene that we, we see every time now and and, and how i was like oh it's a great callback to that because that's again if you this show you know kind of above the table talk here at this point in the show, it's way bigger than it was on episode one. It's become kind of like yes. a phenomenon yeah. at this point. A lot of people are tuning in and watching it. And so there's a lot of like catch-up that I feel like the writers have to do, so I try to cut them slack for that. And it's like, oh yeah, we're re-mentioning this science fact that we mentioned earlier this season because we wouldn't expect our all of our audience members to know this. But we're not going to spend a long time on it. It's that, and we've talked about this before. This is also before streaming is really a thing. So even if you had watched all the episodes, that episode was like three or four months ago now. Yeah, there's no, there's no where for you to go to watch it. There's no right. way to get access to that episode. So yeah. as they're re-examining the hotel room, work finds the teeniest diamond in the world, according to Sarah. But then he proves by willing to be willing to deface hotel property that it's a cubic zirconia <laughs> and not a diamond well just like uh, tampering with evidence by licking bones if you're really sure that you know know the evidence you know you're not risking anything yeah you just, you just rock and roll at least work work is a gambling man you know he is a gambling man which, uh, uh, in, in a past life in a past life yes only not not currently but in the, bo- uh, in the I thought days it, i thought he was reading a gambling magazine when they were handing out the things but i couldn't tell what it was i thought it was like a horse you know like you ever seen like guys at like horse tracks that always have these yeah, like yeah, 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 books yeah. with all the odds and stuff yeah, yeah. that's what i thought they were trying to tell that and then later in the episode he he tries to pretend that he doesn't gamble anymore and so i wasn't really sure how i was supposed to yeah, make interpret out. that yeah yeah so we head back to our other storyline with jim brass Catherine, and grissom they're with mrs bennett in the interrogation room this is where we learn that mrs bennett and her husband never fought they had a perfect marriage and after kind of some prodding from the cis team she requests an attorney which we we have said this over and over again 
innocent or not, get an attorney. But especially if you're innocent, get an attorney. And this is where we see they they ask her, okay, like, you know, no problem, get an attorney, but you need to fill out this form. And this is where we see her, like, super shaky hand yeah. as she goes to try to fill out this form. She can't even grab a pen. Right. Yeah, she can't even, like, hold a pen I, normally. Which I was uh, like, can she really uh, hold an electric saw then? I actually, the first time I saw this, when I was watching this scene for the first time, thought that the twist here was going to be exactly that. She can't hold the saw. Right. Okay, she she can't be a suspect anymore. No, not where it goes. Spoiler alert. Nope. No. Not, not where the story goes. Well, yeah. yeah, she's not oh, a murderer, grandma. but she's... Well, we don't, we don't know. That's true. But if we, Could if we be. have to believe her, she is not a murderer. And I think we're supposed to. I think we're supposed to, like, feel empathy yeah. for this woman. And... I, I would I would say I came away from this episode believing she's not a murderer. Yeah, yeah. So we then go to... Sarah and Warwick walking to the wedding as they are heading there. They get the exam, the sexual assault exam results back in, and they learn that Lynn lied. So they call the police to meet them at the wedding because they need to bring the women in. So they interrupt the wedding at one of the Elvis chapels at one of the little I think it's the Little White Chapel. The Little White Chapel. Okay, okay. I think, I think that's like the most famous one. Okay. And so they interrupt the wedding, and they let them know that all the women have to come in for questioning. And... I, oh, go ahead. I had to ask Tara, I don't, if, if you don't know, uh, and you're listening to this podcast, Tara is my partner. I said, would somebody plan a wedding in Vegas and go to the Little White Chapel? And she was like, yeah. I think I know people who have done that. Done that, and I was like, "But they didn't bring like any of their family." And they're like, "Yeah, that's often why people want to like, like they they don't actually want to elope, but like they want to have that kind of like minimalist elope experience at a venue like that." And I was like, "Really?" And I was like, "Well, I guess you know, like there's so many people in the world. Of course, there's going to be somebody who wants to who you know, or, or a decent number of people who want to do that." But I was like. I was like, I was never expecting them to go to like a uh, Elvis marrying you type, you know, Vegas wedding chapel, even though they were getting married in Vegas. And, but it is also very much in the vein of like, if you're going to have a marriage scene in Vegas, you know, you want it to be in the, you know, wedding chapel with Elvis, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so I was like, it, it really also, that was, this is the point where I was like, man, the Vegas score in this episode really needs to get bumped up. Yeah, <laughs> like this. We had the Venetian Hotel earlier. Here, now we're in the Little White Chapel. They were on one of the walkways yep. outside of, I think it's New York, New York. Yep. Um, earlier, and and I was like, they're really in a lot of places in Vegas in this episode. It's a very Vegas heavy episode, heavy yeah. Vegas scenery. Yeah. Uh, episode. So. So stand. As I say, stand by for season two. Once we have a full season and we know what the normal is, then we'll reevaluate the Vegas scoring system. Okay, that's fair. For season two. So we head back to CSI HQ. Terry is leaving. Catherine, because she again is a total badass, reads the situation and pieces out to give Grissom some alone time with Terry. And Terry apologizes for not returning his calls, but has to admit that it's not her dedication to her work that ca- that caused her to not return his call. But then this somehow emboldens Grissom and he asks her out to dinner and she accepts. Like, I find this a weird... She basically admits, like, I'm not that into you. And then he's just like, oh, well, do you want to get dinner then? Oh, that's not how I interpreted it. Okay, how did you interpret it? Like- I, I interpreted it, like, in the very high school way that people... That's why I say I keep referring to this as like the high school romance episode. It I felt like when she was saying it, she had like this like trepidation in in, in her delivery that like what they were trying to say is that I I was too nervous to call you back because oh, we don't okay. get any information about like what the call was about. Like you know what I mean? Like like you the way you don't want to talk to your crush sometimes, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like and and like and then he asked her out, and obviously she clearly seems like she's excited. To, to go out to dinner, she cancels her flight or whatever. Yeah, yeah, she pushes it back. She, she books oh, yeah. a later flight. Yeah. We have a very quick scene with Nick and Catherine where we find out that Mel Bennett was already dead 
before he was cut up. So uh, order of events is died, then cut up, not still alive while being cut up. Mm -hmm. We then go to Catherine and Grissom with Mrs. Bennett and her lawyer. I'm very glad to see that she lawyered up. And this is where we learn, and I did not check to see if this is actually true, but there's no law against cutting up a body in Nevada. You can just cut up a, a dead body, and that's A-OK. I have no idea if that's true or not. Didn't I, learned, I learned a really cool fact about... So I don't even know if this relates. My guess is it depends what state you learn in, you live in. But I watched a video where a mortuary guy was. It was a wired interview questions. So like the things that people type in a Google mm-hmm. about basically death and bodies. Yeah. And somebody was asked. Somebody asked the question about like spreading ashes. And once you incinerate a body, the ashes are basically no different than like ground up charcoal, as oh, far okay. as the law is concerned. Yeah, yeah. They are no longer considered human remains. But okay. but he also like in a bunch of questions he kept being like it can be very it varies widely state to state so it could be very true that like the bones you know what I mean like yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. a person anymore like once you're right. once you're dead but certainly at a certain level of processing it, like in almost every state that person stops it stops being a human and starts just being an object right it's mm-hmm. a it's what's ever left over but that definition could vary widely. So I was kind of remembering that during the scene, and I, I suspect that they probably checked on this. And it probably wasn't a, It's one of those things where I imagine if you're a writer for a show like this, whenever you word, learn a weird fact, you're like, oh, let's make an episode about it. So this is where we hear the initial story that she cut up her husband's body because she couldn't afford the burial. Jim Brass then walks in, and we have learned that she has been cashing her husband's social security checks, which is fraud, which... I found humorous that Grissom seemed almost more in shock about the fraud than her cutting up her husband's body. Yeah. She's murderers. We run into murderers all the time. Yeah, yeah, but fraud. Woo. Woo. I mean, if you could could have been a penniless widow, and instead instead you wanted to be able to afford groceries and medicine. Yep, yeah. So we have a very short scene with Catherine and Grissom walking and talking they're eating hot dogs and we realize that they need to go back to the body aka go back to the bones uh, to determine more information around this case so they collect a sample from the bone greg sanders runs the sample and presto magic in 30 seconds we find well, out they get, they get that one machine they put everything in it does dna analysis fingerprints yeah it's amazing that's why they spent a billion dollars on a needle right yes exactly it's because yeah. they have this magical machine so they find out that he had too much digoxin in his tissue so he had an overdose of this heart medication called digox- digoxin and i know whenever i'm doing like a blood work there, I, I always get my results. They always give me digoxin, zero point zero zero milligrams. Yeah, yeah. Like that's one of the, that's one of the first things they test for. Yep, yep, yeah, totally normal, totally on the, the standard talk screen when they're, ta- they're when they're screening is is a heart medication called digoxin. So again, magic machine. It knew exactly what to test for. It knew. It knew. Hmm. Even so. it's crazy is that is that they probably thought at that point in time by that. By like this point in time, we would have machines that can do that, and we still don't have machines that can do that. We definitely still do not have machines that can do that. No, definitely not. So we head on over to Jim Brass, Catherine, and Grissom at Mrs. Bennett's house with Mrs. Bennett and the lawyer. This is when she says that her husband committed suicide and that she hid the body to not lose the benefits, and she states and this is i feel i i want to give this actress kudos i feel like she did a very good job here she she should said it in a very shaky sad way that she couldn't even put him out of his misery yeah i mean i i kept thinking about was it what's his name like a guy from the midwest who uh helped people commit suicide oh yeah kevorkian or something yeah it's uh very much like i feel like that was like we're not that wasn't so out of like the zeitgeist at this point that I think, you know, there's a bit of an homage there where it's like, yeah, it's okay for people who are end of life and in suffering and pain to decide that they want to end their life. Yeah. But certainly, I I don't think that, like, I could snuff out a loved one. No, I don't even think if so they either. wanted no, it. I feel, you know I feel what I mean? Like, I, I feel like I, I think we as the audience are supposed to believe her in that she loved yeah. her husband so much that she 
couldn't put him out of his misery and she had to leave the house while he committed suicide because she couldn't even like be there when it happened like i think i think we are led to believe that she is telling the truth here and i'm also laughing that i just used the phrase snuff out and myself okay. <laughs> laughing at myself <laughs> which I was like, I was like, I was like, I don't even know where that term comes from. <laughs> so the, the the team goes out to talk, and they realize that they have to go with the equivocal equivocal evidence, which means if the evidence could go either way, like for or against the defendant, then they have to judge in their favor. So they decide they're going to believe her story that he committed suicide and she chopped up the body afterwards. So Catherine goes in to give Mrs. Bennett the good news and Grissom leaves because he is late for dinner. We then go to Sarah with the ladies in the interrogation room and she goes over this fairly long explanation of the clock and bruising and where you sustain injuries during consensual sex versus forced sex. It seems a little uh, farcical to me, by the way. There's a lot of ways to have sex with another person. This is also true. The angle of approach would be wildly different depending on how you did it. Yeah. I get the premise of like helping versus not helping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm also in no way am I qualified to actually know whether that's true or not. Same. So, so... uh, I just had to roll with it, but I was I my my BS meter was a little high. I was like, "Is that really? Is that a real fact?" Yeah. And I was like, "Or oh, have we bent? Like, have we turned like a, a a real fact and and just muddied the waters a little and used it a little for a TV show?" Yeah, yeah. That, I don't know. I didn't. This is also not something I I, yeah. I did my second watch through of this tonight, and so yeah. I did not research yeah. anything, but. They also find out as part of the exam that Lynn had. There was no evidence she had had sex in months. So there's literally no way that she could have been the one to have sex with Darren. This is when Meg finally, Meg the bride-to-be, admits that she was the one having sex with Darren. But she tells a similar story in that, like, she initially it was consensual, but then she saw her ring and she wanted it to stop and he wouldn't stop. And she grabbed the lamp and hit him with the lamp once and accidentally killed him. I like that that he's like, just once. Yeah, just once. <laughs> Again, ladies, get your facts together. Get you your know. facts together. You know. Also, do were you not paying attention when she just explained to you they can tell whether or not it was forceful? Well, but she does say that it, at the beginning it was consensual. So yeah, that just means there's bruises in two places. Yeah, maybe. Right? Uh, I was yeah. like, they're they're gonna do the exam, lady. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true. <laughs> also. Your husband already knew you were cheating. What are you lying about? Yeah, I know. <laughs> so with some additional prodding, we find out that her ring has a real diamond, but her husband's ring is zirconia studded. Bum, bum, yes. Thus, we go to Sarah and Warwick with Meg and her husband Luke in the interrogation room. We see the reenactment where we learn how... Lynn got her bruised wrist. It's because Luke grabbed her and was kind of shaking her and asking her where Meg was. And that's how she sustained the bruising. It was actually yep. from Luke doing it to her. And then we see Which, Luke. how hard are you grabbing? Like, I don't know. You don't arrest grab. this man for assault. Seriously. Seriously. <laughs> I get your your fiancé is sleeping with a hooker right now. Or I, I guess he's not a, a hooker. A dancer. He's, he's a dancer. But he's, he is... He did receive money, and, and they are. I guess. I guess you could just have consensual I sex mean, with, sex with a dancer. So yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, sleeping with somebody the night before you're about to get married, or two nights before, you'd be quite upset. But like that, those were some serious bruises. Yes. No, I agree. And then we continue with the reenactment. We see Luke throwing the lamp and then bashing Darren's head against the headboard multiple yep. times, but in different spots, which is why blood didn't result is because he hit him multiple times but he hit him in different spots multiple times because the the fiance is he's watched csi before so he knows knows, knows you don't want a messy crime scene you don't want to be covered in the guy's blood so you gotta spread the bashing out yep yep that's exactly that's exactly what he was thinking and i i had to laugh that they put both of them in the same patrol car as they're driving away what is she in the patrol car for (laughs) She didn't well, murder anybody. Well, first off, not only has she lied to investigators. I mean, she lied to investigators. A number of times. She's falsely accused a dead man of rape. I mean, she certainly committed a lot of crimes, but she's also, she's an accomplice, right? She's, 
she was there. She helped yeah, cover it yeah. up. Yeah, I guess you're you know right. I mean, but also, uh, she, if, I don't know if they finished getting married, but soon she will own half of all his stuff. That might include half of his prison sentence. (laughs) (laughs) It was a great shot, though. It was because because they, they're doing is the like when you get married and you get driven away in the getaway yes. yeah. car, but your getaway cans, car. With the cans dragging behind. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. that that. Uh, I I also want to say at this point we definitely learn why they're getting married in Vegas, because you have to be a degenerate gambler, if your promise ring for your wedding is a dice. <laughs> <laughs> Like, that was the most Vegas thing of this whole episode, is this guy's getting married and his ring is a freaking die with five, like, five pips in it made of diamonds. And I'm just like, no wonder they're in Vegas getting married. It was so crazy. I was just beside myself. And I was like, I can't figure out if they did this to make the episode more Vegasy or to explain, to make the guy more Vegasy. Yeah. Uh, but they did yeah, both yeah. at the yeah, same time. They did both. Yeah. And we then pan over to Grissom and Terry at their dinner. Grissom is surprised that he's they're having a great time. <laughs> I'm surprised. I'm having a nice time. Were you expecting a bad time? And this is quickly interrupted, though, by his beeper going off, and we learn that two bodies have been found. They need him for insect analysis. There's kind of some back and forth between Terry and Grissom where, you know, Terry's, he's, you know, he, he acknowledges that she is taking a later flight because of him, so maybe he can, you know, sort of postpone having to go to the scene. And as they're kind of talking this through, his phone rings, he picks it up, he turns, he takes the call, and when he turns back around... No more Terry. Terry is gone. Wait. What? Wait, I don't think I picked up on that. What? Yeah, Terry's gone. I was so confused at the end of the episode because I couldn't figure out if he was going to the crime scene or not. So, oh, she left so he wouldn't have to make the decision to not go to work. I missed that. I I just don't think I thought, I just think I thought maybe she wasn't in frame. Even the second time I watched it, I was like, what? I was like, I still don't get this ending. No, 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 she left. Oh, God. I feel so dumb. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, what's interesting is they, they had, I don't know if they said at the beginning of the scene or if it was in like a, the last scene they were in together where they, they had like a quote oh, where a person, the way a person does one thing, they do all things or something, which I thought was very poignant. So with that, the whole idea was like, if you are wrapped up in your work, you will always be wrapped up in your work. And so it was an important thing where Grissom had to decide if he would allow his personal life to have to not always be second fiddle right. to his work life. Yep. And then it seemed like when he was like, take a picture every two minutes before I get there, like he was going to stay. And then all of a sudden the thing in it, I went, wait, does that mean he's leaving or he's staying? I didn't get that she had left. That she makes so much. It. I'm literally going to have to go watch it. Yeah, yeah, she left. I just... Oh man, I watched this episode twice. I can't believe I missed that both times. Yeah, yeah. I think I think the second time I was just like I had I must have already had the preconceived notion. Uh, I just missed it the first time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because you had already like in your head. It was also the end of the episode, so I may very well have just been kind of like, oh, okay, the episode's over. Yeah, no, that's fair. Mm-hmm. That's fair. But so yeah, she leaves. So I guess after that ending, how do you how do you feel about this episode, Nick? I guess we'll never see Terry again. She can't possibly be in another episode, could she? No. We will have to find out. Uh, this episode, I, I think it's middle of the road for me. It's not awful. I, I don't know what was up with Nick. He's barely in the episode. Yeah, he was he was he was like a he was a C player for sure in this episode. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even think he got an assignment in the uh, at first, and then I was like, oh, okay, he's helping on this, and then it's like. Apparently, it took him 24 hours to post a picture to this a random dental forum. Database. <laughs> yeah, that, that, they kind of glossed over how that was working. That felt like another early, oh, you can do everything on the internet moment and people will just believe it type thing. But, yeah, that that was fine. I, I like the, the storylines. Like, I like the old lady storyline. I like the bone storyline. 
there there are some silly moments in each of the episodes, but there are some good ones. So yeah, it's very kind of the middle of the road. There was no n- no real low point for me, but there was no real high point. Right? It's yeah. very it's a very safe episode. Yeah, I think you know I think I'm right there with you. I think this is the middle of the road. I think there you know Grissom had some chance for like character development and seeing a few more sides of Grissom. We didn't really get that from anybody else. Yep. And I, I like when there's more involvement from more characters in the show. I felt like, again, Grissom had multiple scenes where he kind of got to show his character and everyone else was just kind of yeah. like, meh, they're there. So, yeah, it's okay. Not great. Not. I thought the, the woman who played Mrs. Bennett did a great job, I think. Yep. She was a great actress. I think they, they cast her very well. And I also thought as I was watching this episode that I think it's been the same lawyer in almost every episode when they have a lawyer. It's this lawyer. And I was like, that's a nice gig to have. Like, yeah. Yeah. It, 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 she has been, she has been the lawyer many times. I don't know if she's the best lawyer, but I guess when you're the foil of the main characters, you're always going to have some ups and downs. But I know because she, she has a, because I keep checking for for guest stars after episodes she has like a certain certain like black and white imdb photo and it doesn't really look like her she has like no hair she's like shaved she has like a semi-shaved head or something in it and and i was like i don't remember this character in this episode oh it's the lawyer oh okay and then you see it the next next time she's in an episode like oh yeah it's the same lawyer yeah it's the same lawyer yeah 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 so i mean good for her i mean get that get that money get that recurring recurring roles so i've never clicked on her imd imdb profile though so now i'm curious okay Uh, i lied her picture is not black and white she's just wearing a gray shirt oh okay all right So we will be back next week with our review of Season 1, Episode 15, Table Stakes. Uh, in the meantime, you can find us on Facebook at Who Are You, colon, a CSI podcast. We are also on Twitter, AKX, Instagram, threads at Who Are You, CSI pod. Feel free to tag us using the hashtag who are you csi pod or you can add us uh we love engaging with you guys thanks for those who already follow us and engage with our content and otherwise we will see you next week